I'd like you guys to turn to Acts chapter 16. Um, Last night we were celebrating my brother-in-law Aaron's 40th birthday. He turns 40 tomorrow. He beat me by a month. Um, (laughs) But uh, I was talking with my sister-in-law Jocelyn last night, and she was uh, in our conversation just talking about how unique uh, just church is and what privilege we have just to really come and just have time that's set apart just to hear the Word of God. I love podcasts. I listen to sermons all the time. I probably listen to four or five a week. But I'm always driving. I'm always thinking about sermons I have to preach or a meeting I have to get to. I easily get sidetracked. And then Pastor Charlie got up here this morning and explained in very simple terms how easily (laughs) we can get sidetracked. And it is truly a blessing what we have here as a church family, just to have time that's totally dedicated to worshiping our Lord, time from distractions, busyness, our to-do lists, just to sit and receive from the Word of God. That's a total privilege we have, and I think sometimes we take for granted. So hopefully you guys will be stirred up in that reality as I was, as my sister shared last night. So this morning, we're going to get into chapter uh, 16. Hopefully we're going to finish it here. Um, We're going to talk about heart issues today, Uh, but before we do in that, I want to open up just a little time. Uh, We'll see what happens uh, just on the line of testimony, but I don't think a Christian ever gets tired of hearing how someone has come to know Christ. I love testimonies. I ask you guys to share testimonies. In a month from now, I'm going to be celebrating 10 years as a fellowship And it's going to just be a morning of testimony. We'll have a time of baptism, but we're just going to hear what God's doing. Um, And it's one of my favorite things. I don't cry a lot. Like, if I watch Up, I'll tear up, cry a little bit. (laughs) You know, there's a few movies out there that'll do it, but I don't do it often. But almost every time I hear someone share a testimony, man, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, so it's such a great, you know, thing that we have to share those stories of how much the grace of God has been shown to us. I love hearing how the grace of God crashes into someone's life or how God has pulled them out or how God pursued them. Those are just good things to hear. And what I'd like to do, if you guys would be willing, is just to take a few minutes not to be long-winded, not for you guys to get up and share your whole testimony, but just maybe one point. This is one thing that God did. This is one thing that he did to reveal himself or he saved me from. So I'd like you guys to come up if you'd want to share just a short God story, just something he did, and we'll do this for a few minutes. If nobody comes up, that's fine. I'll share a few, but (laughs) I'd love to hear from you guys. So I'm going to move this mic back over here. Colin, if you could turn it back on. If no one comes up, I'm just going to preach the gospel very clearly this morning. (laughs) Anybody? Come on, Jess. Yeah, anybody else you can come up to. We can make a short line over here. Yeah, this is the sister-in-law, too, that provoked me yesterday, for you guys who don't know. God saved me after I was raised in a Christian home. God saved me after Lawrence University College. 
um, after Lawrence University piano performance major, I had the chance to go to Zurich, Switzerland to study at the Zurich Conservatory there for piano. What an honor, what a privilege. I planned my whole senior year to go and um, was going to work with the professor, an American professor, and his Swiss wife was going to live with them in their home, planning a whole year, like how to make it work financially and everything. And that was the same year that God really, I, I became born again by the end of that year. I was very torn about going to Switzerland or staying here. I felt the inner battle. I um, prayed one night that God would give me a peace just to go to sleep, and he did. And I finally stopped wrestling between like, should I go to Zurich or should I stay here? And um, cause it was so expensive and it was just, what, what rural Wisconsin girl doesn't take the opportunity though when you're accepted to the Zurich Conservatory to go study your instrument and you know. So that was just such a big burden. Anyway, I had this piece that passed my understanding. At the time I was going to Bible studies, um, born again people, a lot of you, st I started getting to know you around that time. Anyway, um, that was June. I graduated, I attended Sonny and Landon's wedding as their pianist, I met my husband uh, Aaron at that wedding, and um, things started to change. I, um, I at well, <laughs> dot dot dot. I didn't go to. I went to. Uh, I I ended up. I had plane tickets already purchased before the wedding. Before before I met Aaron, had my plane tickets purchased. I flew to Zurich. I flew to France to visit a friend, and then Germany. I came home in six days. Like God was really working. I came back, and it was for Aaron to see if that was the way God wanted me to go. Um, dot, 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 we got married in November of 2002 that year. Um, it was the right thing, I have no regrets. But later, look, here's the God thing, later down the road, <laughs> there's a lot, a lot more, but uh, <laughs> later down the road, years later, I found out that that professor in Zurich in, at the university, uh, at the Conservatory of Zurich in Switzerland, um, he had problems with female students and uh, he had he had stepped outside of his marriage and had an unholy relationship with one of his female students, not me, but someone else, and I didn't know that till years later. And that was the silver lining like that. It wasn't for me to go and live in that house. Um, he ended up divorcing his wife, um, and not that I'm happy about that, but I just feel like God really protected me. Um, maybe. <laughs> Maybe it'll be another chance to go to the Zurich Conservatory, you know, whatever. But, um, but God was really, it's really amazing that God would do that in, a, in a, such a life as mine. So mm -hmm. um, thank you to so many people in this room that have supported and answered my questions and loved me and shared God with me. Thank cool. I'm going to do a very short version because I need a lot more time, Pastor. But I'll, I'll put it this way about, about my testimony. For over 30 years, I did church very well in the Bible Belt. I did church very well. I was the chairman of big commissions in a 2,700-member Methodist church, and did, did youth coordination and all kinds of responsible positions. I did all of that very well. What I did a lot better than that, though, was um, opioids and LSD and marijuana and beer. 
the whole time I was doing that. And uh, <clears throat> over an eight-year period, the Lord slowly started breaking me down a little bit at the time. The money went first, but little by little, and was so gracious during that time. My wife of 24 years kicked me out, not because she knew I was doing all the drugs, but because of my behavior. But when I finally came to myself, I think about the prodigal with the pigs, but when I finally came to myself, it was about two o'clock in the morning in my apartment, <clears throat> and I had a job, food in the refrigerator, money in the bank, but everything else I was completely bankrupt, especially spiritually. And I just got on my knees and said, God, if you're real, take the desire to do these drugs out of me. And two seconds later, I realized that that had happened. I had drugs in the apartment for six months. Somebody finally asked me, what did you do with your stash? I said, uh-oh, it's still there. <laughs> now, I took all the pornography to the dumpster the very next morning, but for some reason, I forgot about the dope. Anyway, the biggest thing, Pastor, that I want to get across this morning is that it wasn't very long after that happened. It might have even been the next day that the Lord got me to Psalm 32. Many people familiar with Psalm 32? I'm paraphrasing very much here, but overwhelmingly blessed is the man that the Lord forgives his iniquity. So I still can't believe that he forgave all of that. But um, anyway, I'm a long story. About five weeks after that happened, I met this woman over here. Yeah. And so she finally got me, and I'll tell you this, and then I'll sit down. When I was coming up in the heat and humidity down south, I used to look up at Minnesota and Wisconsin on the weather map, and it said 40s and 50s, you know, and I said, gosh, and of course I was far from the Lord at that time, it sure would be nice to be up there, and here I am, so <laughs> praise the Lord. Okay, so when um when my dad was on the bridge and when uh when the accident happened, um my dad he actually went to save um try to save the man that got shot and like everybody else they would run but um then when uh he got shot just like when god died on the bridge um wait when god died on the cross um he said may god forgive everybody and um my dad said uh may god forgive um the shooter and uh yeah it just touched so many people around the world and then they 
came to know Jesus, and yeah, it was very sad, but also he um, was such a Christian and wanted to help people around the world just like God wanted to save everybody. Anybody else? Well, thanks, guys. I think we'll do that more often. It's good. Yeah, just real quick, I could share a lot of stories, but just with, as sharing last, um, there's power in our testimonies, guys. There just is. Um, Literally, uh, after John and Olivia were shot, and praise God, they knew Jesus. We get to see them again one day. Um, <clears throat> it was something that uh, I had a really hard time with. I still have a hard time sometimes uh, with all of that. But there's power in testimony, you know. And as Ezra was just sharing the testimony of his father saying, you know, forgive the shooter. Um, did a lot of ministry in the jail. And during that time, uh, the groups were a lot smaller than what we would have here <laughs> this morning. And uh, I had often had opportunities to share personally what God was doing in my life. And, and during that uh, time, especially the first six, seven, eight months, um, it's something that came up weekly in the jail for me. And I'd be able to share John and Olivia's testimony, you know, just how they love the Lord. And just their testimony, I remember um, it was actually a couple months after it, I, I just made a comment that one of my best friends, just this horrific thing happened. It's something I struggle with. I still trust God. He doesn't change. Just the ugliness of sin in this world and just how it affects people I love. Um, and one of the inmates just spoke up. Did he really say to forgive the guy that shot him? I'm like, I don't know but I know John, and I wouldn't doubt that was the first thing out of his mouth because he knew my Lord, and that's the heart of my Lord. And it's just one of those things, guys, our testimonies, whether we know it or not, have big impacts on other people. And that's one of those things we want to do. We want to live well. We don't want to trip over the little things in life. We want to keep big perspective we want to finish well. We want to finish strong. That when it is our time to go home, that there is a legacy. Hey, their life mattered, made a difference. Because when it's all said and done, it's not going to matter how successful we were in this life. You know, I love the passage in Daniel that we would shine as the stars. And how do we do that? By winning people to Jesus Christ, those that win souls. You know, and that's what it's all going to be about when we're in heaven. You know, it's just like, praise God. You knew so-and-so? I knew him too. He's the one that shared Jesus with you. That's so cool. <laughs> you know? I just picture that's, that's going to be the coolest thing in heaven is just seeing how that all works. But anyways, it is a great thing to share stories and examples about God. And I encourage you guys to do that because our God is alive. He is doing stuff. 
you know, even this last week I could share with you guys several things where it was not coincidence, it really was the hand of God. He's just alive, he's at work. So one of the outstanding characteristics of Christianity is the variety of methods that are used in dealing with mankind. Okay? God, we can't put him in a box. We can't say this is the way you have to do things, God. This is the way it's always going to work out. You see, it takes them really as they are, and it works with them in their individual temperaments and circumstances. So the object really is the same when we think about Christianity. It's about the salvation of the soul. That's why God came to this world. That's why he would humble himself, become a man. How many of you guys have read the Bible? Great. If you haven't, I'd really encourage you to do it. Because isn't it a history book? Man tried. God gave them perfect environment. They couldn't even do it there. (laughs) How are we going to do it now? And we saw through the ages God worked with man in different ways. But no matter what God did or no matter what laws were set up, man just couldn't do it on their own. No one can. No one's good enough. Even the best of us, 7 billion plus people on the planet, there's not one out of 7 billion that is good enough, that is perfect, that has not sinned against the living God. Not one. That's why God had to do. And that's the beauty of the history of the world and the history that we read about concerning man and salvation throughout the scriptures. So really, the object is always about people being saved. But the means vary, taking very different (laughs) ways, but the same goal as we see in Scripture. So this morning, as we consider Acts 16 together, here we have three different kinds of sinners set before us, or three hearts that are one to Christ. There's a businesswoman we're going to look at. There's a slave girl we're going to consider. And then there's a man who has jail duty. We see a soft heart, a blind heart, and a hard heart. So a little bit of recap from last week. The Macedonian call is given to Paul, and he's got a new band to be running with, and they're going forth. The destination is Europe. The duty is to preach the gospel. So we picked up... uh, Last week, Luke, I don't know if you guys caught that or not, Luke wrote Acts, but now Luke is along for the ride. He is now doing missionary work. Look at verse 10. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we, who wrote us? Luke. So now we, I'm there with these guys, sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So these we passages in Acts We see both Philippi narratives here in chapter 16, and we also will see it later in chapter 20, verses 5 to 15. But for this morning, we pick it up in verse 11. So let's read. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samarath's. In the next day, we came to Nopolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who met there. I want to pause there for a second. They went to pray and who was there? 
the women. <laughs> For some reason, women are a little more spiritual than guys are. I don't know if you guys have noticed that or not, but that seems to be a trend, at least here in America. Okay, most churches, hey, we have a prayer meeting. Great, we got all these women that show up. Where are the men? <laughs> you know? um, and I just want to encourage you guys, all of you, be people of prayer. Okay, women, make it out to women's prayer. Third Saturday of the month. Okay, one of the things I'm blessed by is we've had through the years at Freedom, a lot of the men stepping up. You know, we've always had more men show up for prayer. Um, and I think that's just good fruit. Okay, I think that's a, a, a fruit of just teaching the word of God and responsibility. But it's one of those things, guys, we're all called to be people of prayer. Okay? And my heart is grieved when I walk in to different ministries and all this stuff that's happening in these churches are always led by women. And I'm not saying that women shouldn't lead. You sisters have gifts, phenomenal gifts. Uh, I think sometimes women are just a lot smarter than guys. There's a lot that God's given, but my heart grieves because my question is, where's the men? You know, there's a reason why there's women doing so much. It's because men don't step up to lead, and that's why I just want to encourage this morning. Uh, you guys, uh, I do see you stepping up and leading, and if you aren't, step up. Ladies, if you don't go to women's prayer, go to women's prayer. Um, good stuff. Anyways, sorry, sidetrack back to the... Scripture here in verse 14, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she had heard her household was baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So I love that. So let's jump back here. We saw in verse 11 that they're sailing. So the ship were really, on the ship were the seeds of life. <laughs> they were taken to Europe and later to become seeds that would sail here to America. Do you guys see how this passage right here before us this morning impacts us here today? Okay. So, verse 12, we see Philippi here. Uh, it's named after Philip of Macedon II, who was the father of Alexander the Great. So there's another connection. Uh, they mentioned this colony here. So it was a little Rome, um, cities that followed the Roman law and the cultures of the day. Um, they sat down and spoke in verse 13. So what an insignificant way to open up a continent. Think about that. Hey, let's go win them to Christ. Let's get everybody set and rent out a stadium and hold a crusade and we'll preach the gospel to the masses. <laughs> no, what did they do? They went to a prayer meeting. <laughs> hey, let's show up. Let's preach to these God-fearers. Uh, so it was free, it was simple, it was informal, with nothing set, no elaborate you know, service, just prayer and an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. And the Lord, I want you guys to catch this, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So she's a businesswoman from Thyatira. Okay? Um, she's here in Philippi, and she's a Gentile who we're told is a God-fearer. 
there are many God-fearers in this world that don't know God. Okay? A lot of God-fearers who don't know God. They know God's there. They even have an understanding that, hey, my purpose in life isn't myself. I'm the creation. There is a creator. But they don't know their creator. They don't know their maker. And isn't that the one thing that God desires? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's what God desires, is that we know him. And many of you guys just said you've read the Bible. Doesn't God get, I don't want to say a bad word, but ticked (laughs) at people? Okay, he does. And normally, if you read carefully, when God gets upset, it's at religious folk that don't know him. That's where he gets angry. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves us. He loves all people who are all sinners. We all are. He loves all sinners. But he has a hard time with the people who think they have it all together but don't know him. Okay? Why? Because he's alone as Savior. He loves us. He's created us in his image. He desires relationship. That's our God. So, we see here this beautiful woman named Lydia, and she becomes the first convert that was made in Europe. And uh, you guys are familiar with Thyatira. You might like, oh, Jesus wrote a letter to those guys. <laughs> Anyways, um, it was known to be the center of purple dye business of the day. Um, since purple goods were very expensive, uh, Lydia was likely a very wealthy woman, and she traveled far uh, more than most women in her day, okay, all the way from Thyatira to Philippi here. But the thing I want you guys to catch about her more than anything is she had a soft heart, didn't she? She had a soft heart towards God. The Lord opened her heart. Who? The Lord did. You guys catch that? So the heart, it is the center of our moral life, including our intellect, our thinking, our emotions, our feelings, our will, things that we are determining to do, okay? It's the essence of our whole being, our personality, and it really contains the issues of life, okay? Anybody issue-free this morning? Everything going all right? Perfect little life? If you do, I would love to sit down with you, take you out for some coffee. I want to pick your brain. But there are issues of life, aren't there? Proverbs 4.23. Okay, we all have issues, but where do they come from? Well, it tells us in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence. We're told to do this, for out of it spring the issues of life. Okay? What's really going on? And you guys can tell. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth's going to speak. Okay? Well, if you're critical, if that's what's coming out of your face. If you're a gossip, if you're judgmental, if you're discontented, those things are what's going to come out of your mouth. And what's going on? There's an issue in the heart. So, from the heart proceeds evil thoughts. With it, man believes unto righteousness. God offered man a new heart. Isn't that awesome? I love that promise, that new covenant that we find in the Old Testament. I'm going to take your heart of stone. (laughs) And God says, I'm going to give you a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that's alive. 
Okay, anyone who believes on Jesus Christ becomes a new creation. We're born again. It's exciting, okay? We're alive. God can do things in our lives. I just want to talk about the heart for a little bit. <laughs> we know Pharaoh hardened his heart towards the Lord. And that's the thing. I love Lydia. We're going to look at three people this morning. She's the one that has a soft heart. And that's the one thing I pray more than anything for our fellowship when we gather together, when we have Bible studies, when I sit down and counsel with you guys, that our hearts would be soft, that we would be open to what the Lord has. Because if we're like a Pharaoh who chooses to harden our hearts, we're not going to receive. This morning, the word of God is good. Okay? It's not about my preaching. <laughs> it's not how well prepared, you know, it might be for the sermon today. The word of God is alive. It is alive. He wants to engage our intellect, okay, which really affects our heart. And when it comes to the heart, can anyone in here change their heart? Anybody? No. Not one of us. People try. They try to do it without God. But without God, it's impossible because God's the only one who can change a heart. As we saw here with Lydia, okay, God did the heart thing. But I'm under the conviction. You, may, you don't have to agree with me on it. But I'm under the conviction that God will not change a heart until we change our thinking. I don't see God ever forcing himself upon anybody. We need to come. God's all given us brains, intellect. Do we choose to seek the Lord? Do we choose to read his word? Do we choose to say, yeah, my thinking's off. And yeah, I agree with you, God, because you're right. Because I think when we choose to engage and we align our thinking to his, I think in that, what we're doing is saying yes to him. It's an invitation. And that's when God will come and change our heart to what he desires. You guys see how that works? Because we can't change our heart no matter how hard we try. The only thing we can do is humble ourselves and submit ourselves to him and say yes to him. And we see that with Lydia. She had the soft heart. She's praying. And these missionaries show up preaching the gospel and her heart immediately, yes. This is what I'm looking for. Okay. And I love when people have soft hearts. I love when I get to sit down and talk with somebody, share the gospel, and they're already there. We don't have to go through the reality of where their sin has gotten them. <laughs> you know, how they disobeyed God, how they've been an enemy of God. They're just in a place, yes, <laughs> yes, I want Jesus. I'm hearing what you are saying, and I agree, I believe, yes. And God instantly changes their heart when they say yes to him. So, don't you guys love Lydia? Anyways. Um, so why does the heart close off to God? It's because of our sin nature, okay? It's the root, and the sin in our practice is the fruit of it. So the Lord opened our heart. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't his phenomenal preaching as an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
The Lord did this for her, okay? And it's the sun that makes um, photography wonderful. I got to do some fun uh, photo projects yesterday, and it was with my kids. But to get a good picture, I didn't want to use the light in the house because when you have nice natural light outside, your photos turn out so much better. You guys know what I'm talking about? If not, here's a free photo lesson. <laughs> Outdoor exposure is beautiful when you have natural light. Um, so some people like to take photos at night, long night exposures. Have any of you guys ever tried to do that? How is that even possible? It's because of the sun still. Even though it may be the middle of the night, the only way film can be exposed or you can get a picture at night is because of the light from the moon, which is what? Just reflecting the sun. Okay? And that's still there. There's still a light present that you're able to make an exposure. So it's God's sun that makes the convert. It's not the artist. You get the point? It's God. Um, I love roses. Okay? I love this time of year. On the way to church this morning, I saw some really cool flowers. I'm like, after church, I need to swing by and take a picture so I can go into the nursery and ask the flower people, what flowers are these? Because I'd like to plant them at church. <laughs> you know, they're just really cool looking. Um, but a rose, okay? They're exciting to watch grow. She's like, oh, they're, they're going to bud. Do you see how big that bud is? It's going to be a beautiful flower, but if you or I were to walk over to that rose bush and say, hey, rose bush, see, you got a flower in there. Why don't you just like come out, you know? What happens if we start trying to do it ourselves, start pulling back? We're going to make a mess of that flower, aren't we? You know, we're going to ruin it if we try to open it ourselves. Or do we keep watering, preparing the soil and allow the sun to do its work? It's got to be Jesus, guys. Verse 15. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So in at least two-thirds of the world, guys, all important decisions are made by groups. Okay? That's just the mentality of people. Okay, this is a group decision. Okay? We're very individualistic here in America, aren't we? Well, of course, Pastor, because it's all about me. Don't you know that? Check out my Facebook. You'll know. <laughs> you know? That's just the way we are. That's the way we roll. Um, because only insignificant decisions are left to individuals. That's the mindset in a lot of the world. So when missionaries come with an individualistic gospel, it frequently seems as though it must be an important issue to those who, are, uh, who they are trying to win. Okay. So, what do we see about her? She opened her heart and then her home. I love it. Her salvation, so quiet. Nothing startling. Just a growing conviction that something deeper was missing. A heart so soft, it just needed more light. Now let's look at a blind heart. Verse 16. Now it happened, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed 
with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit for fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. I think this would be pretty cool. Wouldn't you be you know, kind of like, hey, there's a demon-possessed person following me around saying I'm a servant of the Most High and that I know the way to heaven. You know, wouldn't that be cool? Stop. Maybe people would stop and say, is this person, are they telling the truth about you? Do you really know the way? I think that'd be kind of cool. But what happens here? Paul got greatly annoyed by it, right? So he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up against them, and the magistrates, they tore off their clothes and they commanded that they be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So what a contrast we see here with the first woman who was uh, from the first woman. uh, And then we have um, who, who was used to make a profit here. This young woman was used for profit. So we have Lydia making money, you know, for herself. And now this woman is being used to make money, but for others. If you guys check out verse 16, the spirit of divination. Okay, that's a fun one to study out on your own to look into. It's the spirit of Python, okay, in the Greek, Python, uh, in Greek mythology, it was the name of the Python serpent or dragon and was said to have guarded the oracle of Delphi, okay, which is a Greek city which had been slain by Apollo. Okay? Um, oracle. Well, what's an oracle? A religious institution focused upon an individual who had a satanically empowered gift to prophesy and who is sought out by many who wish to determine the will of the spirits. So the oracle Adelphi was a priestess known as the Pytha because she was empowered by the Python spirit. And she would take a ceremonial bath, sacrifice a goat to who? To Apollo, okay? Apollo. Um, and entered into an underground chamber beneath the temple, um, which Apollo's tripod would sit. And according to mythology, Python's power was passed to Apollo and then through him to others. So Paul encountered here uh, this slave girl with the same spirit. Verse 17, the girl followed Paul and us, and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Fallen angels, probably the finest imitators of holiness. Okay? 
There are a lot of people who are demon-possessed. Some of you have gone to Haiti with me. We have seen witch doctors possessed by demons, Haitian people following their lead. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but Haiti is the most oppressed, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Okay? When they were established, they dedicated the island to Satan, and they redid it You know, um, just, I think it was about 15 years ago. They did it again. And you wonder why. What's going on? Well, Satan is real, guys. People are really demon-possessed. Some of you in this room have seen with me people who have been demon-possessed, speaking the truths of God. Facts. This woman, was she not speaking the truth? Hey, these guys here, these missionaries, they're servants of the Most High God. And they know the way of eternal life. Okay? And I've seen demons speaking truths. They know who Jesus is. They know what is going on in the world. They know there's a war over the souls of people. And what did they do? What did Paul do? Well, he speaks to the demon and casts it out in the name of Jesus. Okay? If you think someone's demon-possessed, praying for them is not going to deliver them. I don't see that in Scripture. Every time I see a prayer is needed, <laughs> but every time a demon is cast out, it is spoken to. Every single time in the scriptures must be spoken to. Okay? Now, that's something that we need to be careful because we have authority in Christ. And there are people that demon possess. We don't see a whole lot of it manifested here in the States. Why? Because we're teaching our kids there is no God. And the supernatural is taking place in front of us all over. What would be going on? Well, our kids would be going to school saying, well, that's stupid. We see the supernatural all the time. We see these women, you know, speaking with the voices of men and just crazy spiritual stuff going on, you know? He doesn't do a whole lot of that here. If you've traveled, if you've done missions work, it's happening all over the world, but other people in the world don't deny God. We live in a country that says there is no God. You were taught in school, nothing blew up, right? We just evolved. No, there is a God. He created us. He is alive. The supernatural is real. These things are really going on. But we're also told by Jesus, okay, not to cast out demons. Why? Because if you do, that demon might go get seven of his buddies and return to that person who was demon-possessed, and they would be worse off because now instead of having one demon, they would have seven. And I've personally seen that happen before. Okay? Young girl on the worship team at church. She went, not... Freedom Fellowship. This was when I was doing youth ministry many years ago. Stuff She was at um, retreat with us. God was doing some great things and she manifests. What is going on? Beautiful little girl. Beautiful voice. Voice of a man-man coming out of her. Spouting off just profanities to the Lord. Demons cast out of her. Six months later, we're having another retreat for the camp. Guess what's going on? She's got three demons in her this time. Set of one. So it was one of those things we as young adults started searching the scriptures. I started reading books on this stuff because that's kind of freaky when you have your first encounter with someone who's demon possessed. What's going on here? Did a lot of reading. It was one of those things that I'm under the conviction still to this day. When I encounter someone who's demon possessed, and I've had a few up in the jails over the years, I don't want to talk to the demon. Okay? 
And if you guys ever have an encounter with that, you might find it fascinating. You don't want to talk to the demon. You want to talk to that person. And you share clearly the gospel with that person. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus Christ? Are you willing to repent and give your life over to him or not? Because if they're not, guess what? You don't want to cast a demon out of that person. Okay, but we're told in Scripture that when a person's born again, okay, light can't dwell. I mean, darkness can't dwell where light is, right? It just doesn't happen. So I won't cast a demon out of a person unless they're willing to repent <laughs> and turn to the Lord. And I think that's why Jesus said we've got to be very careful about that. So Paul, I don't know what he, if he was in his flesh here or what was going on. We're told that he was annoyed. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> this gal keeps following us around. So verse 19, uh, it says here, their hope and profit was gone. So these guys were mad that Paul had cast this demon out, that she was set free. They were mad about that. So no different today than someone getting saved and you know, getting out of a, a gang or drug trafficking or sex trafficking. Okay, They know too much. So we have two women who were the first European converts. Uh, where was the man of Macedonia? What's he, where is he? Well, here and after verse 24 was this was the great call to Macedonia. This is really uh, was all about for a lady, you know, <laughs> is this all we have for, you know, a lady's prayer meeting and then for a demon-possessed slave girl? Is this really what we, we have to work with? Lord, which one do you want to be the senior pastor and the assistant pastor <laughs> to start this church here, <laughs> you know? This is what's set before them. Um, now, a heart so blind it needed someone to remove the blindness. Let's move on to a hard heart. Verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately, all the doors opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul, he called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So... They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. That's pretty clear. How is a person saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And then they are told in verse 32 that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them uh, the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptized now when he had brought them into the house he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in god with all his household so in verse 25 in spite of the persecution in spite of the pain these christian prisoners they prayed 
and they praised. I love it. When you guys are going through it, do you find yourself, woe is me, I can't go on, or do you stop and pray and praise the Lord? Tertullian said this, Ligs did not feel because souls were in heaven. Ligs do not feel because souls were in heaven. Um, I think a good prayer for you and I is, Lord, teach me to praise when I want to complain. Teach me to praise when I want to complain. So what a contrast in the Gospels where King Herod frets while sitting on his throne, where here prisoners rejoice because their minds are at ease. The old British preacher Charles Spurgeon said, a crust of bread from one heart brings a song. From another, a thousand acres of ripening grain can produce no thanksgiving. So true, isn't it? It's perspective. It's the will of God that we give thanks in all things. I just want to complain, God. (laughs) I don't want to give thanks. No, in all things, you give thanks. This is the will of God. And it's hard to do the will of God sometimes, isn't it? Last night I got up about 1 o'clock. I wasn't able to fall back to sleep about 4. You guys ever wake up in the middle of the night and you know it's just like, oh, bummer. This is one I know I'm not going to fall back to sleep from. Well, I had that one last night, and I already had my sermon prepared, and I knew I was going to be preaching this this morning. But when you hurt, ask God to give you songs in the night. This is in my notes right here. And I had to live this last night. Psalm 42.8 says, The Lord will commend his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And Job 35.10 says, God gives us songs in the night. Psalm 149 verse 5, let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Now, I didn't do that last night because Sonny probably would have been upset with me. But the point is, guys, when we're going through it, we need to pray. And I don't know about you guys, there's times when you're going through it, it's just hard to even sleep when that's the only thing you want to do. And when things are that hard, when you're hurting that bad, sing praise. That sets your heart right. I mean, that's what we've been created to do. And when we're doing it, guys, it changes perspective. It changes our thinking. It glorifies the Lord. Why? Because we're trusting him, aren't we? So verse 26 here. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken And immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Okay? This is New Testament stuff. God is on the move. He is doing things. Well, that's awesome. Why does he do things in my life now? I believe he wants to. Do you believe he wants to? Are you okay waiting on the Lord? I hope so. This also makes me think of the um, Elijah uh, you guys can go back later, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. Uh, Elijah was told there to go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord, he passed by, in a, in a great strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord, he wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, 
But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. I guarantee he was in this earthquake. (laughs) Think about it with me, guys. It shook the foundations so much that the doors flung open and the chains that they were bound with were loosened and no one got hurt? God was in the earthquake, okay? (laughs) So, all I know, (laughs) I'd be out of there. (laughs) Doors, I'm in prison, they just beat the heck out of me, okay? I know what's probably gonna happen is they're gonna wanna take our lives. (laughs) I'm out of here. But what do they do? What do they do? They're staying there. They're staying there. Um, I'd even be thinking, remember what happened with Peter? They killed James, first martyr, and they wanted to kill him, but hey, the angel came and set him free from the prison. He went. Shouldn't we do the same? Is Peter? No. I love it. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And they just stayed there and praised the Lord. You know, you know, I'd be like, wait, you know, <laughs> you know, wasn't this to set them free? But it was really what? To set another free. Sometimes we go through it, guys. Sometimes God may open a door, but it's not for us. And we need to realize that. Maybe God wants us just to stay put because he's doing something. He wants to set someone else free paul says in verse 28 but paul called with a loud voice saying do do yourself no harm for we are all here you see had paul not called out we'd have a man dying and slipping into hell utter torment darkness for all eternity aren't you guys glad that paul spoke up how many people are slipping into eternal hell because the servants of the Most High aren't willing to open their mouths. Verse 29, the jailer is what? Trembling, we're told. You see, the jailer knew something was very wrong. He knew that his life was not right. His post was in danger, but more importantly, his soul. So maybe remembered unnecessary cruel treatment of Paul and Silas. We whipped these guys. We beat these guys. I was a part of all of this. Um, I looked up in the Greek, uh, Exelon, in verse 24, uh, for feet in stocks. That's Exelon in the Greek. Okay, wood, stocks, a Roman instrument of torture with more than two holes for the legs so that they could be forced widely apart onto opposition which soon became intolerably painful that's what was being used on paul and silas here in verse 30 it says and he brought them out and said hers what must i do to be saved don't you wish that happened on a regular basis (laughs) you know i don't know about you guys but you get those phone calls where you don't recognize the number I have a debate that rages in my mind. Do I or don't I answer right now, you know? 
you know, but wouldn't it be cool that you answer it? Hey, hello, what's up? What must I do to be saved? Wouldn't that be so cool? But I think God has to sometimes shake people up like this. And we just have to be available when God does that in someone's lives. So the greatest question for all of mankind, what must I do to be saved? What must I do? You guys know I love sharing the gospel. I get to literally talk with dozens of people every week, most of them that don't know the Lord. And very few actually care about their souls. They don't care about eternity. They're consumed by other things, circumstances, life. When the one thing that really matters is what must I do to be saved? So saved always is in contrast with lost. Similar contrast to lost, we have examples of the sheep, the coin, the son in scriptures, and they were all with found, right? They were all found. So salvation is the opposite of being lost. It's being found. It's the opposite of being in danger, but it's being safe. Do you guys understand that? What's the worst thing someone could do to me? Take my life? Really? Thank you. I'm in glory. My heavenly Father that loves me. So what about the second most important question? What must I do to be lost? What must I do to be lost? So no elaborate answer for it consists of just one word. Nothing. Nothing. You don't have to do nothing. Everyone. A couple scriptures. Our brother shared before from John 3. We read in John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. What does a non-believer have to do? Nothing. They will be a non-believer. Nothing. I don't want to believe. I don't want to seek. I don't want to ask. What must I do to be saved? John 3, 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Man. Salvation is so simple, guys. What must I do to be saved? You need to believe. That's it. Could God make it any easier? Religion wants to make it hard. Okay? You need to go through our membership, become a part of our church, our denomination. You need to renounce this and do that. Get baptized. Give your money. Blah, 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 blah. You aren't saved by what you do. Or you don't do. <laughs> You're saved because of what God's done. That is biblical Christianity. This is the only religion in the entire world that teaches that salvation is of God and God alone. And there only can be one truth, guys. The people have different types of hearts. And some have hard hearts and say, I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to deal with it. And when they are confronted with the truth, with the gospel, they run. That's why we pray for people's hearts, don't we? All you guys know the Lord. You want your loved ones to know the Lord. You want your neighbors to know the Lord because you've seen the truth. You know God now. And you want everybody to know Him, to have eternal life. But we can't make people have it. Do it. That's why we pray. Lord, soften their heart. Open up their hearts. Give them a soft heart. <laughs> Help them. 
Guys, I don't know how I got saved. I know it's the grace of God. Okay? Because I'm pretty bent. If you guys could get in these three pounds up here, actually know what your pastor thinks, you'd be like, I'm never going to that church again. (laughs) But the reality is, guys, we're all sinners. All our thinking is off. You guys ever wonder, like, why me? Why would I even shoot? I'm so self-centered. I'm so messed up. Why would I ever even consider God? I want my own thing. It's God's grace. There's something when you heard the gospel, it's just like, man, this is too good to pass up. (laughs) Praise God for that. Some of you guys have been knuckleheads. You've had a hard heart, and God literally had to take your whole world upside down. You had to hit rock bottom (laughs) before (laughs) your eyes were open. Oh, God loves me. (laughs) I can be free. You know, we all have different hearts, but God knows our hearts. We don't. Jeremiah says our hearts are deceitful above all things. We think we know what we're feeling. We don't know we're messed up. But God knows our hearts, and he knows what's needed. Praise God he cares enough to do something about it. So verse 32, let's start wrapping this up here. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So at some time his household enters the scene because they heard and they also received. Okay? Nothing magical about it in your household. Like, (laughs) I love it. Verse 33, And he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. So I love that he not only felt bad for his beatings, but he did something about it. Okay? Do we own up to our mistakes? Are we going to go do something about it? He washes their wounds, then wash your sins away. I love that. So the first recorded episode of an out-and-out pagan becoming a believer in Jesus Christ is this jailer. Pretty cool, huh? So in other words, no prior exposure to Judaism whatsoever. And that's some of you guys this morning. Some of you have grown up in the church. And you might be a Lydia, who, hey, I'm a God-fearer. I know God's there. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to live a good life. But you're not born again. You're not saved. But when are you going to finally surrender, truly surrender, and say, yeah, I'm all in. I believe. You are it, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that nobody gets to heaven except by you. Period. Do you believe that? And there's some of you guys who, hey, mom and dad weren't God-fearing people. Maybe you went to church a couple times on Christmas growing up. That's because grandpa and grandma maybe dragged me. Or I had a neighbor who brought me. But hey, I didn't do any church growing up. And something rocked your life that got you seeking the Lord. We all have stories. We all have testimonies. And we're all coming from different backgrounds, different stories. But God's faithful. Does he not reveal himself to all people? Is not the Holy Spirit right now convincing the world of their sin? But the problem is, as we read, the world likes their sin. It's not that God's unjust and he sends people to hell. No, we like our sin. We like being our own God. 
We don't want to deal with truth. We don't want to submit to our maker. We want to do our own thing. We're just wicked. We're evil. One of the things that hit me really hard, you guys know I have a heart for missions and stuff. Um, I'd love to go over to Africa someday. We have a brother who goes over there and is teaching pastors how to study the word, prepare the word, teach the word of God. And that's something I'd love to be able to do is to get together with other pastors and just give them tools like that. Um, But I know in going there, I read a missionary many years ago, he went, we wanted to win people to Jesus Christ in Africa because he heard how pagan they were, how evil they were, and they needed the gospel. They needed to be set free, you know? And he went there, and he began to preach to these people. And what he found is nobody wanted the truth. Nobody wanted to hear because they loved their evil. They loved the darkness, you know? And when I read his story and his account and his take on it, I'm just like, man, the good news is so good, but it doesn't mean everybody's going to want to hear it. It doesn't mean everybody's going to want it. I don't know what it's in us, guys, but we want to work towards the lesser. We like being lost in the dark. Because, man, when God exposes a little bit, man, that means I'm going to have to deal with something. When the sun begins to shine into my darkness, and it's all around us. You guys might say, hey, I live in the Fox Valley. A lot of nice people, good people, good families around here. You guys know that we're the drunkest city in America? Because people don't want to deal with the light. They want to self-medicate themselves so they don't have to deal with reality. That's why we consume so much alcohol. That's the truth. If you don't want to see it for what it is, it's because you're choosing to be blind. There is a reason. We can mask things. We can hide things pretty good. We can do church for a whole long time in our life and have drugs stashed away and parted up and living in the world and not know the Lord. You see, guys, it's good to ask ourselves where we stand with God. We see the jailer, a heart so hard it needed a great earthquake to crack open. And God's willing to go those lengths to save people. So let's talk about civil rights. Last chunk here, verse 35. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these Words to Paul saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said, verse 37, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now, do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers, I love Paul, the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and they pleaded with them and they brought them out and they asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison. They entered the house of Lydia and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So Paul did not use his Roman citizenship here to protect himself from pain, but here he uses it to protect the new church. Okay? You understand when he spoke up and used that. It wasn't for himself. It was for these new believers. So we had a religious businesswoman with an open, soft heart, a slave girl 
with a, a Philippian python possessed heart, right? Rugged Roman soldier who is a prison guard with a hard heart. So God has a thousand keys to open a thousand different doors in order to deliver them. So whether your heart is soft, blind, or hard, the Lord wants to open it this morning. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed or contrite in spirit. So a heart must be penetrated by God. A heart may be as thin as an eggshell, like the... uh, Philippian businesswoman Lydia here, or the heart may be a black veil, have a black veil over it, like the Philippian Philippian, uh, slave girl, or the heart can be as thick, it needs a great earthquake to crack it open, like the Philippian prisoner, or prison guard here. But a heart must be penetrated by God. That's why we pray. So what help does mankind truly need? Knowledge of God, pardon of sin, power for life, hope for the future. That's what we need, guys. And those are things people don't like talking about or thinking about. But that is what we need. So if salvation is the opposite of being lost, it's being found. And it's the opposite of being in danger, it's being safe. So do you want to be found? Do you want to be safe? God's given the invitation. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What must I do to be saved? You believe. You believe on Jesus Christ. That is it. And he will give you a new heart. I love it. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you, even in the midst of uh, just a chaotic world in which we live, a very unique time in history in which we live, we thank you that you care, that you're still there, you're still at work, you're still setting people free, you're saving them. We thank you for the work of the cross, we thank you that your love, that you just couldn't leave us stranded left to ourselves, God, that you were willing to intervene and to do what we couldn't do. We thank you that you're working on hearts today, even here this morning, God. There's a lot of issues in life. A lot of those issues stem from heart issues. I just want to pray and ask for my brothers and sisters here this morning that you would guard their hearts. Father, help them to set their minds upon you to be seeking you, to be praying, to be praising you. Father, I would pray for those who are not in the faith or they're lost. The hard thing is so many people who are lost don't know they're lost. God, we all need you. We pray that you'd open up hearts. People would see their great need of you and help us, Lord. We love the example of Paul and Silas today. They had an out. 
They had the easy road set before them. They could have went and found comfort for themselves. But there was a jailer there that needed you. Father, we thank you for their example and we pray that you'd open our eyes to see the jailers in our lives. Those men and women, Father, that you're working on. Father, as you're shaking up their lives, that we would be able to share the good news with them. And I do pray, I love seeing this morning how these guys got saved and they went back to their households and shared with their family. I pray you give us boldness. Sometimes the hardest people to share with is family. Help us to be bold. Open their hearts, Father. We thank you so much for your love, for your grace. Thank you for your word this morning that you gave us opportunity just to be still, distraction-free, just to look to you, to hear your word, to hear testimonies of the saints. It's been good, and we thank you for it. Pray now that you go before us, God. Establish our steps. Help us to be quick to forgive, Lord. Help us to trust, fix our eyes upon you. We ask in your name. Amen.